0: All right, everybody ready? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Welcome to episode six of the podcast. Today we are honored to be joined by Dr. Dean St. Mark from Ireland. I hope you're in Ireland.
1: I am,
2: yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, I
1: in
0: Ireland. <laughs> and Dr. Dean is a product formulator for supplement needs, and he's very well known in the fitness industry as a pharmacologist. Dr. Sorry. Dean is a competitive bodybuilder, and holder of some seriously impressive qualifications, PhD in synthetic organic chemistry and fluorescent spectroscopy. Yes,
2: uh, I had to right. pra- practice
0: saying that. And <laughs> and uh, he's passionate about applying functional medicine to improve the health of athletes. That's so, right. Don't worry, we're not going to be doing a whole episode on organic organic chemistry, although (laughs) some people might enjoy that, I don't know, (laughs) but we're actually going to be talking about sleep. Um, So welcome, Dr. Dean, thank you so much for taking time out of your week to join us on the podcast.
1: Oh, my absolute pleasure and thank you and thanks to Andy for reaching out to me to come on. Oh, my pleasure. So So, as you, you said, my name is Dr. Dean St. Mart and my sort of rise to fame you could say in the health and fitness industry was exactly as I said bringing functional medicine to bodybuilders and getting them to think more towards root causes of illnesses and correcting that root cause before an actual disease progressed so uh, like we said the podcast is going to be about sleep and that was actually another sort of area where people started to really follow me for was myself I work as a chemical engineer, and I worked um, shift patterns, so I worked day shifts and night shifts, and one of the most important things that I came to realise was obviously the impact of your circadian rhythm, which controls your body internal clock for sleeping. And with working night shift and being a competitive bodybuilder, I had to ensure that my sleep time on night shifts was just as efficient as day shifts, when you're sleeping at night time at correct time. So for the first, say, year of of working on shift, I I used to do sort of the the typical of trying to wind down and trying to avoid certain foods and, you know, the really generic things. And I figured, you know, I'm still not sleeping as well as I am at nighttime. And that led me down the path then of obviously putting my biochemistry cap on and actually asking myself, what is the biochemistry of sleep? What, what is the underlying root mechanism to how we fall asleep and then how we get our bodies to stay asleep. And that, that not only was then to improve my own sense of well-being, but it was then, obviously, when you're preparing for a bodybuilding competition, your sleep has a whole role in how your body utilizes fuel for energy, how you're going to be recovered, your injury risk. All these things have to be managed by your sleep. And so I decided then when I looked into the biochemistry, I started to realise that we needed like two scenarios. We had to have a, a setup phase where we prepared the mind for sleep. And that's all dictated by our neurotransmitters in our brain. So we have to be more careful of, we have to have elevated levels of serotonin to feel calm and relaxed. But we also have to have levels of dopamine under control so that our minds aren't racing at night time. So that's sort of where you feel that wired but tired feeling at night when you're lying in bed, you're trying to fall asleep, and all of a sudden you start thinking of all the different scenarios that happened during the day or any conflicts that happen at work. And all that sort of drives that is more dopamine being made in your brain. You start worrying about what-if scenarios. So it becomes important that we can chemically clear out the dopamine from our brain and drive that serotonin up. that's what helps us to get relaxed and fall asleep so when i realized that simple concept that made falling asleep relatively easy and what we call sleep onset or sleep latency how long it takes you to actually fall asleep but the key thing here then is especially if you're working night shifts your i guess sleep cycles of how your brain flows from light to deep to REM sleep can be upset obviously because we're sleeping during the day when our circadian rhythm wants us to be awake and obviously our digestive processes are elevated during the day and all these factors play into trying to make you wake up from your sleep so i had to realize well what keeps you asleep and ultimately what keeps you asleep is melatonin so people view melatonin as the sleep aid that you take to help you fall asleep but it's not necessarily correct it's It does have hormone effects that it will cause you to fall asleep because it's this sort of circadian balance between melatonin and then cortisol, which is the stress hormone that wakes you up. So, you want high levels of melatonin to obviously fall asleep, but you also need high levels of melatonin to stay asleep. And the half life so, how long melatonin stays in your body is only about three to four hours. So when you take melatonin as a supplement, it'll work for the first three or four hours of falling asleep. And then after that sort of first initial sleep phase, that's it, you're awake, unless your body is actively making melatonin. And so with the Sleep Stack, which is a product I designed for supplement needs, it was originally designed for myself. And then I shared, obviously, the formula with Lee, who owns supplement needs to bring it to the market. Because I did feel that like there wasn't anything really out there that catered for even the fitness community, but also general population.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We had you know, sleep supplements like ZMA, which is just zinc, magnesium, aspartate. So it increases zinc and magnesium in your body. And they have a role in your, your central nervous system and how your nervous system relaxes. But it's not really part of the bigger picture overall that makes you fall asleep and stay asleep. And that's where with the sleep stack I viewed okay we can effectively raise serotonin in our brain using the precursor to serotonin known as five HTP or five hydroxytryptophan and that it comes from the hydroxylation of the amino acid tryptophan. So tryptophan in your diet plays into your serotonin. The conversion in that five HTP to actual serotonin is dictated through vitamin B six. So you need to have adequate levels of vitamin B six in order to effectively process and uh, I guess efficiently transfer 5-HTP over to serotonin in your brain, and that's sort of where the first two ingredients of that sleep stack, the 5-HTP and the vitamin B six, come into play. So you're feeding all the way into that serotonin, making you feel nice and relaxed. Okay, second part to the equation, and it's dope. I mean, like I said. So most people in today's society have too much dopamine in their brain heading into to sleep onset. And that's sort of where the concept of sleep hygiene became important because sleep hygiene was just the rituals and practices we put in place before we go to sleep in order to prepare our mind for sleep onset. Now, if you're watching very stimulating TV or very violent television or you're um, playing very violent video games or you're trying to respond to emails that are coming in five minutes before you go to sleep that all plays into that dopamine stimulation and driving you to stay awake because with that sort of dopamine stimulation you get a hit of adrenaline or catecholamines that again drives you to want to do more so What we need to do then is prepare our mind to get into that low dopamine or low stimulatory environment. And that's why, you know, two hours before bed, we should start winding down a lot of our stimulatory activities and start either, you know, dimming the the lights in the room to bring on that mental cue that it's nighttime. Avoid very engaging television or engaging conversations, you know, arguing with someone on your phone on social media or you know, seeing, you know, posts that trigger you on social media, that's sort of where it becomes important that you find a routine that allows your brain to effectively have space from that day's activity. And that then becomes important because when you go to lie in bed, that might effectively have a blank canvas, your mind isn't thinking of anything, and your, your brain can then actively process through these four, I guess, electromagnetic wave series of going from, beta wave state which is wakefulness into an alpha wave state which is when you're sort of daydreaming or in very very light sleep and into theta wave where you're starting to progress into that really light sleep where you know if there's sound in the room you're not going to be woken up but you're you're not actually in the depths of deep sleep and then finally you pass into delta wave sleep which is like your very deep sleep where nothing can really disturb you for your brain to sort of wind down and for those electromagnetic patterns to resolve themselves, you, you have to play off that neurochemistry. So the, the low dopamine environment becomes important. And that's ultimately where magnesium becomes such an effective supplement before bed. And specifically, magnesium bisglycinate, which is basically magnesium that's attached to two glycine molecules. What that does is the magnesium feeds into an enzyme known as catechol-o-methyltransferase, which is COMT. And a COMT helps to methylate dopamine, so it helps to metabolize dopamine, and it also helps to metabolize or methylate estrogen in our body. So it's a very critical hormone. And it can be a reason why um, females, especially at different periods of the month during the menstrual cycle can have sleep difficulties because of the elevated estrogen and the demand that COMT is being put under. Or the same goes for the other side of, say, enhanced male bodybuilders who might use testosterone, who might have elevated estrogen. Again, that plays into how hard COMT has to work. So if you're not keeping up with that magnesium, your COMT is going to slow down and you're going to have elevated dopamine in your brain. So that's where it became important that we clear out that dopamine in that an hour and a half period of when we're trying to wind down. And obviously, once we have that sort of taken care of, we've now set the brain in a perfect environment to progress into that alpha and Theta brain wave state. Keeping ourselves then down in that delta wave state, that deep sleep, is all dependent on your brain turning over melatonin while you're sleeping. So, it's telling that internal body clock, it's still nighttime, keep sleeping. What drives melatonin production is not just the pineal gland. So, obviously, sunlight during the day enters our retina and triggers the synthesis of melatonin in our pineal gland in our brain. And that's what our brain secretes at nighttime when it becomes dark. But on top of that, your body's serotonin gets converted to melatonin while we're sleeping. And that's what effectively keeps you asleep, is that conversion of the serotonin over to melatonin. So if we're not providing an adequate amount of serotonin prior to sleep, and we're not providing the body with enough vitamin B5, which is what the body uses to convert serotonin to melatonin, you end up with this deficiency where you'll fall asleep no problem, but you'll wake up in the middle of the night. And we have to view then the whole scenario of insomnia of either being sleep onset insomnia where you have difficulties falling asleep or you have, I guess, sleep duration insomnia where you have difficulty staying asleep. And both of them have root causes that we should ideally address. Um, what, what, I, what sort of made me interested in this was obviously we have certain supplements or we have certain pharmaceuticals that play into sleep in that we have what are known as GABA receptors in our brain. So unlike serotonin and, and dopamine, gamma, which is um, gamma butyric acid, GABA, that acts as a um, inhibitory neurotransmitter. So it helps to tell our brain calm down. Yeah. And when we take pharmaceuticals like benzodiazepines or barbiturates, any of these sort of antidepressive sleep medications they they act on the GABA receptor to basically tell it to activate but it doesn't actually bring on any of the benefits of the changes in brainwave states when we sleep so although they put you asleep in that they basically knock you out Mm -hmm. you don't actually progress down into that theta and delta brainwave state with the use of these drugs So while they're effective at treating potentially some of the physical side effects of lack of sleep or insomnia, you don't actually benefit from the the mental refreshing aspect with these compounds because your brain never actually has time to process and eliminate some of the garbage that fills up in our minds as our day progresses. Because ultimately, what I'm getting to here is sleep is probably one of our biggest detox pathways. You know, we have our own dedicated immune system, which are the microglial cells within our brain, that have their own supply of lymph. And during the night, that immune system is actively cleaning out debris. It's it's focusing on sorting memories, sorting out scenarios that you've encountered during the day, and allowing you to separate it so that basically, like cleaning up a PC, you have more active memory to run on the next day. And that's where, obviously, having a good um, sleep hygiene ritual to feed into your sleep practice becomes really important because we want to ensure that we're maximizing each of those sleep states. Um, Then if you look at it overall, um, within those sleep states of that alpha, beta, theta, uh, and delta, we can then break down, say, a sleep cycle of going between the different stages of sleep into roughly about 90-minute cycles. Um, And we can see that with, um, I guess, electromagnetic um, imaging of the brain, where the brain actually actively partakes and are known as spindles. And that's sort of how our brain is sort of entering through each of these different phases based on number of spindles we're seeing. But uh, with, with today's society, the... The impact of blue light, the impact of our social environment, all that plays in a big role into sleep without even touching the the nutritional aspect of ensuring that we're getting adequate tryptophan, obviously the amino acid from adequate protein intake, but also those those cofactors in terms of the vitamins, B vitamins. And then the other biggest thing is the magnesium. Most athletes are severely deficient in magnesium. Um so, it, it, you know, we, we need to look at that as the global picture, then, we're going to address these.
0: And with the sleep states, um, right, is there any one that's more important, or do you need to go through them all?
1: So, genetically, how we bring sleep on is through adenosine receptor um, agonism. So, when the adenosine receptors are activated in our brain, they basically tell your brain to start winding down and start falling asleep. So obviously the the most well-known compound against that would be caffeine. And caffeine acts as an adenosine receptor antagonist. So it it binds to the adenosine receptor, blocks it without activating it. And that keeps us awake for slightly longer. So when it comes to uh, obviously each of the sleep stages, Genetically, people will have differences in how they progress through these sleep stages. So, if you, for example, have um, a genetic issue with that ADA gene, which um, transcribes over to adenosine receptors, if you have, in certain cases, an upregulation of adenosine receptors in your body, you, you could obviously be, um, I guess, predisposed to either having. Um, more deep sleep or less deep sleep because that'll all play into how wakeful your body's going to be so uh, i don't think we can sort of break down that deep sleep is where we see physical restoration so we see elevations in growth hormone and we see obviously decreases in catecholamines we see blood glucose being slightly elevated because of the, the growth hormone response so that's sort of a physical restorative response so from an athletic perspective, um, deep sleep would be important. Um, then obviously for the likes of memory consolidation, for creativity, for um, new scale development, that's where rapid eye movement or REM sleep becomes important because that's where our brain, the neurons of our brain are making active connections between our memories and the events that have happened in the day before. So... I guess both have an equal, uh, I guess, importance mm-hmm. in your quality of life, but from a, a, I guess, daily goal perspective, deep sleep would be probably more important for a intensely training athlete, whereas REM sleep yeah. would be very important for, say, an academic or somebody who's very engaged, they have a career which is mentally engaging. Um, but, but overall, I think the, the, the importance should be on, on all of them, but i guess the other thing that people try and do is influence how their brain actually goes through these phases which is very difficult to do like there's we can do certain practices that can improve our quality of deep sleep and the length of deep sleep but really overall you're going to end up with some level of genetic variability Mm -hmm. like for example we know that increase in core temperature before bed so either you know a mild exercise or a shower hot shower will raise our core temperature so that while we're sleeping that thermoregulation, where your body temperature has to correct itself during the night time it is offset so in other words then you stay in deep sleep for longer because the, the likelihood of you waking up feeling cold is going to be lower Um, We can take certain supplements that can help increase how much growth hormone we secrete. Um, So we know, for example, alpha-GPC, or alpha glycerol choline is a form of choline that tells our brain to secrete more growth hormone. So we can use that to effectively keep us in deep sleep longer. And we can avoid caffeine beyond, say, 12 o'clock in the day, so the half-life of it, isn't affecting our sleep by the time we get to like 10 or 11 at night time uh, and i guess you know back to the thermoregulation regulation aspect having you know a correctly targeted sheet um and uh, surprisingly enough sleeping naked without bed clothes helps your body to maintain that cool temperature so it's it, all these little factors can then edge you out towards getting more deep sleep um but then in terms of REM sleep, there's not really much you can do to force yourself to get more REM sleep, other
2: than when your brain has deemed that it's received enough deep sleep later
1: in the, earlier in the night, then in that latter phase of sleep, you start swapping over to REM, where the, the brain is able to then focus on, like I said, memory consolidation, the microglial cells, cleaning out debris, dead cells, dead neurons basically just getting everything, it's affairs in order for the oncoming day.
0: Yeah, that's, that's absolutely fascinating. I can see how you applied all your sort of biochemistry to that. And um, and again, coming from that shift worker aspect, um, I mean, I've never experienced that, but I'm sure that's, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 you know,
1: what I, because yeah. uh, we, even with shift, then we have to view like the... the deleterious effects of working shift all stems back to mm. how the circadian rhythm gets affected, so obviously your your food and digestion just completely slows down at night time and that again, probably signals into your body getting ready to fall asleep and then the other side of it then is, if you're working night shift, you're going to be doing certain practices that's going to offset your body producing melatonin so you're going to have a, a when it gets to the morning time and you actually want to go to sleep, you're going to be in a scenario where you've actually suppressed your melatonin from the night before and you want that melatonin to actually start working when you try and go to sleep the next morning. Um, And that's where daylight exposure becomes important during daytime hours to set our melatonin up for that nighttime. But also daylight exposure late at night can offset that circadian release of melatonin. So, like, a shift worker could use, like, what I have on here now in my my office is a daylight lamp. Mm -hmm. You can probably see it reflected off my glasses. And that daylight lamp mimics sunlight because, obviously, I'm in, like, a little alcove in our our attic space. So, I have no daylight coming into this room. So, I use that coming into my eyes throughout the day while I'm working. And that again, is helping to increase melatonin synthesis because it's the same wavelengths of what sunlight gives off. Um, and then obviously you can deploy that lamp if you're working night shift so if you expose your eyes to this say at 10 or 11 at night time yeah it's going to have the same effect as being out in the sun and basically telling your body you know what it's actually the middle of the day you don't need to produce any melatonin
2: wow, that's crazy so it sense. And, so,
1: and, and you know like with, with that then if you suppress your melatonin it's sort of probably the only scenario where a shift worker would want to use melatonin maybe the first morning after the first night shift in order to make up for that lack of of melatonin secretion from the previous night because melatonin does act like an antioxidant in our body. So we we need to be really critical in supporting our body's, um, I guess, antioxidant status Mm -hmm. as well as using the melatonin to bring on sleep as well. Um, But it's, you know, shift workers tend to not really see some of the practices they do even with terms of sleep hygiene has a big impact on their sleep then for during the day and if you are intelligent uh, you know, and you apply these sort of practices between day sleeping and night sleeping your quality of sleep should pretty much stay the same and that you reverse your your daytime pattern to your nighttime pattern
0: mm-hmm. yeah um, no, I, I find the nutrition part really interesting, how everyone's sort of looking to, I don't know, some kind of sleeping pill, you know, to go to sleep, but just overlooking what you can get, like the B vitamins, magnesium, you know, things like that that you well, you can get your, from your food or from, you know, a, uh, an intelligent supplement stack, not your sort of usual sleep aid that, you know, like you said, gets you to sleep, but it's not going to, you know, keep you
1: asleep. Yeah, and, and I mean, even... You know, even something as simple as, so tryptophan is one of these amino acids that we have what's known as the long neutral amino acid transporter in our brain. So our brain is covered by a blood brain barrier. It's a a thick wall of interwoven blood vessels that really prevents any large molecule from passing across into our brain and causing damage. So our brain will only be very specific in what it'll allow the blood to, pass through into the brain and for example amino acids are at a specific size that they need a special co-transporter to bring them across into uh, the brain and the brain then will make neurotransmitters from those amino acid precursors so for example tyrosine makes dopamine and tryptophan makes serotonin okay, yeah. so with the, the tryptophan transport Tryptophan then has to compete with all the other essential amino acids. So you're going to prefer- preferentially transport the branch chain amino acids across the blood-brain barrier first. and You know, they're valine, leucine, and isoleucine. Yeah. And after that, then, the brain is sort of left to then shuttle amino acids as it feels necessary in and out. How we can increase the transport of tryptophan into the brain is through carbohydrate consumption. So, if we have a carbohydrate-containing meal alongside a protein source before bedtime, we're preferentially taking that serotonin across into the brain, and that's where we see sleep quality significantly improve when someone has a carbohydrate meal before bedtime. And that's sort of where someone who's in an intense dieting phase, whether it's you know for recomposition um, of their body, or whether it's for it to participate in bodybuilding partitioning some of their carbohydrates before bedtime Mm -hmm. will have a significant impact in not only that serotonin production, but offsetting some of that negative impact that your blood glucose can have while sleeping. Because another aspect here with, I guess, um, sleep quality and sleep duration is your blood glucose. If your blood glucose drops during sleep, your body will wake you up. And we find that tends to happen in people who have very low levels of body fat, Doing a bodybuilding competition, they will wake up in the middle of the night purely because their blood glucose will fall be below three nanomolar, and their body, as a survival mechanism, will wake you up. Um. So in that regard, having a, a slow release in carbohydrate meal, you know, something as a a, a a, I guess a slow digesting carbohydrate such as oats, or anything like that, some, something more with, with a higher fiber content. That's going to slowly digest over the night Is going to play into Increasing tryptophan Increasing serotonin To help you fall asleep But then ultimately playing Then all the way downstream Into your serotonin Going to melatonin And keeping you asleep So it becomes yeah. you have your, Once you have a clear view On all these simplistic mechanisms mm-hmm. Sleep doesn't become as complicated As it's being made out to be
0: Yeah I like that And how ironic uh, Everyone's like Don't eat carbs yeah, at night yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah. I actually save carbs for bedtime. Yeah, me I'm too, a training please. window for bedtime because I don't have many carbs because mm. you know blood glucose issues and all that. Um, the other thing I was gonna say is BCAAs, uh, BCAs branched chain amino acids. I spoke to this about before in the um, post stories about people who drink BCAAs all day. You know sip on BCAAs because they're like water. And don't realise those BCAAs. If you've got a constant flow of BCAAs into your body, your brain's going to uptake that first, and then that can block things like tryptophan from crossing into the brain, and therefore you don't get the precursor to serotonin. Your serotonin levels could be affected, and your sleep could be affected. And I, I still see like these ready-to-drink BCAA cans people are buying and drinking all day. It's like you know, yeah, you know, it's just craziness.
1: Yeah. And I mean, not, not even to, to to decide is that leucine is insulinogenic. So if you're constantly sipping on leucine all throughout the day, you'll have this low steady state within yeah. your body where your pancreas is constantly outputting small amounts of insulin constantly.
2: Wow. And, you, and you
1: will end up with issues with the pancreas. Then the beta cells will just eventually, you know, slowly start to wear thin. So that's where it's, you know, it's important that, we utilize these BCAs for what they are ultimately designed to
2: yeah.
1: and that's turning on muscle protein synthesis with an effective dose of leucine. That's, that's ultimately what BCAs were, you know, they're designed in our body to do, and, you know, for people to get their head around. The BCAs are just essential amino acids or EAAs, they're three of the nine so it's yeah. it's it still comes down to you know utilize them for the leucine to trigger that mTOR and muscle protein synthesis but all throughout the day like you said will have a play on your neurochemistry and then as well have a play on your your pancreatic cell health in the end
0: that's crazy i didn't realize that that's so interesting and like andy said yeah so many people just sip on them all day and just thinking it's the
2: yeah, best, you know, they're all. doing... You're
0: yeah, la- water. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. And what what do you think about all these sort of um, like, sort of sleep tech trackers, like you know, the Aura Ring, are they useful?
1: Um... Yeah. So so I've said this countless times on Instagram, so I love technology, like I loved, I, I got a first one of the first Fitbit blazes when that was all the rage, and <laughs> when the o-ring come out i got the o-ring oh, nice. and uh, i have one of them new scan watches now that sort of tracks your i guess your your hypoxia in your sleep so it shows you know how you're yeah. breathing and your respiration mm. so you're not having any i guess uh sleep apnea mm-hmm. so what i sort of came to to realize was a lot of people view these things as a game then so the first thing they said is they go to bed and they wake up the next morning yeah. they, op- they open their phone they like look at their phone and go oh, I only got 5% deep sleep all oh, that sleep was rubbish <laughs> and yet yeah. uh, you could add an amazing sleep but the sleep tracker told them they only had 5 minutes deep sleep so then they're going to believe what the sleep tracker is telling them
2: yeah.
1: so yeah. how I came to view it was yes it's it's a nice way of tracking sleep to sort of allow you to see how restless you are when you're sleeping so the, yeah. the, the gyrometer aspect is, is useful because I can show okay I was tossing and turning last night without me even realising and I could have a play into my obviously my sleep quality but the way I started to view it was do you listen to your body
2: or do you listen to what the phone is telling you yeah yeah, yeah. so
1: how, how I how I've sort of put it forward to people is if you wear these sleep trackers don't just check your phone the minute you get out of bed to see how well you slept the night before mm-hmm you know, either sit at the edge of the bed or, you know, when you wake up, give yourself a couple of minutes and ask, God, oh, do I feel actually rested? And then, you know, if the answer is yes, it doesn't matter what the phone tells you, you feel rested, you your day. And if you do feel like rubbish, you know, open up the phone, see what it says. If it says that your deep sleep was only 10 minutes last night, try and figure out why your deep sleep was really bad. So was it that you ate a really heavy meal last night and you're your parasympathetic nervous system state never really kicked in. So what we should see is with the useful thing with the O-ring is it's tracking your, your heart rate all throughout the night. Yeah. And you should see what's known as the U-shaped curve. So, you know, a, a middle point in the night, your heart rate should be at its lowest, and then your body's going to start making cortisol tweaky you up and that heart rate starts rising. So that that's the perfect night's sleep is this sort of U-shaped or, you know, declining and back up again. If we see that, then we know that, OK, our, our body was in a correct PNS state. So obviously, maybe something else is at play. Maybe you're you're having micro apneas where you're, you're not breathing correctly in your sleep. And that's generating hypoxia in your brain. And without you even realizing your brain is waking you up for, you're, you're talking micro or milliseconds, and you're falling back to sleep again, mm-hmm. um, that can have a role in how your body actually stays within that T to delta, you know, brain wave state where you've reached delta which is like the lowest and deep sleep and because your brain has sort of aroused itself it's gone back to sort of t to, into alpha uh, you're talking like milliseconds here and then realize oh, I actually everything's fine and to put you back to sleep again but that'll have uh, impacts then on how well you feel rested the next day so that uh, using the data i guess. Um, objectively is the best way rather than forming a, a subjective relationship to and
2: mm-hmm.
1: believing what, what it tells you is actually gospel. Yeah. And, um, yeah. you know, even like coaches, online coaches who now use sleep tracking as a data metric for clients, you can get clients completely wound up about your sleep tracking numbers because mm-hmm. they view it as a game. They, they literally get yeah. severe severely stressed that you know even even the simplest sleep tracking app sleep app which is just using your phone as a gyrometer you put it underneath your pillow mm-hmm. and it tracks how well you sleep based on how much you move on your pillow you have know, people trying to like really do as uh, as many things as possible in order for that sleep score to be 100% the next day so they could take a screenshot of it, stick it on instagram and go oh look at that yeah. mate perfect <laughs> night's sleep and, 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 and that stress can even just, like, try to fall asleep the night before. Worrying about beating your sleep score can play into the whole and some, you know? Exactly. Like, I'm a bit like that, to be fair. I don't go to
2: the whole thing of stressing out about it. But, like, when I'm filling in my tracker me, it says, how would you rate your sleep? And then I start looking at the sleep track again. Well, it is a 73 score. A 7? Or is that actually OK? So I put a 9? And then I start thinking, Mm, that's not very good, I need to get back up to the sort of 90s, because you know, yeah. I'm naturally competitive, I feel competitive <laughs> over steps, over sleep, and, but I, I, I try not to think about it before I go to bed, it's just that first bit, normally when I'm filling in my tracker, I'm like, oh, no, I wish I was better sleep. Yeah.
1: That's... Normally
2: and normally, then what I do in that case, or what I tell
1: people is, give yourself three or four days before you even sink to something like this. Mm. And really just try and stay mentally in tune with your body. And then, you know, when you're doing your your tracker or your your weekly check-in tracker, rather than updating it daily, you know, do it after three or four days when you're getting getting ready to send check-in so you can actually take that emotional bias away. And Mm. as you're filling in check-in, you Mm -hmm. can sort of think back, okay, well, the door ring says... 72%, Seventy-two percent, but really, you know what? To me, I felt like I had maybe ninety when I slept. Yeah. You know, your 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 rating based on your sleep percentage might actually be higher. So you might say I actually had a nine-hour ten sleep that night. Yeah, Exactly, and
2: as I think last week I had some crappy scores, but actually felt amazing waking up. In times I've got really good scores. I wake up, and I'm like, what? Uh, now,
1: okay. now, now, I'll share an interesting perspective with you because. I wanted to see how accurate um, a Fitbit was versus an O-ring, just out of curiosity when I got the O-ring. So I wear the O-ring on my my right hand and I wear my watch on my left. And ideally, if the two of them are sort of calibrated the same, it shouldn't really matter what hand you wear it on. The the sleep should be mirrored between devices. And so I sleep on my... My, my left side sometimes, but more, mostly on my right. And my wife sleeps to my right. So the aura ring had me, like, dead asleep because my arm is trapped under my <laughs> body lying on my right side. And then the, the fitbit was picking up, like, 70% deficiency. I was going, this can't be right between the two of them. And so my left hand was picking up my wife moving in the bed beside me.
2: Oh, jeez.
1: Oh. So... That's where I started to view that, you know, if you're forming an emotional bias to these trackers, unless you're sleeping alone in the bed, yeah, your absolutely. partner's movement will trigger towards your score as well yeah. without you even realising. And so you might say, like, you know, uh, the last while, because we, we have a, a, a 12, 13-week-old son now, so my wife is breastfeeding in the middle of the night while I'm sleeping. To a nights where I've checked my phone and it says, oh, you only got, like, six, 69%. And I'm mm-hmm. going, no. okay, I woke up a little bit during the night, but for the majority of it, it was fine. And it's actually my wife, like, shuffling in the bed, you know, trying to feed mm-hmm. Charlie. Yeah. And, and that's, yeah. where, that's where you have to really take a step back and go, you know, actually, I, I had an okay sleep last night, not to the extent of what the ring is telling me. Mm-hmm. And that could drive,
0: Uh-oh.
1: I guess, imbalanced relationship to their sleep based on their tracker. They are gonna suffer with insomnia because sleep is gonna
0: become like I said a competition. Yeah. True, true. Yeah, and I guess like with yeah, all exactly. tech, you know, just just get you know to learn your body first and just use it sensibly, not that you get um, obsessed with it. Yeah. Uh, but did you did you find like when when you're doing a bodybuilding competition, do you do you supplement more, or do things change for you to really try and get your sleep quality
1: as sort of as
0: best it can um, be?
1: No, I did. I've I've never found really any difference between when I was competing and now at, at, at a normal mm. level of just training and training for health and obviously for aesthetics. But what I would say is probably when when I was competing and in that sort of active dieting phase. Probably magnesium, like I said, is the one that I advise most athletes to, to really ramp up. Mm-hmm. And like I'm talking maybe two to two and a half grams of magnesium bisglycinate before bed. Just for the sole fact of you're probably doing extra cardio. So magnesium is an electrolyte that you, you sweat out. Oh. So you, you, you need to keep on top of obviously how COMT is acting you You're in this sort of really ambitious and driven state, so again dopamine is elevated during the day, so we want to make sure that when, when at the appropriate time that that c o m t enzyme is correctly methylating and removing these neurotransmitters when we need it to so the the magnesium is probably the one that gets driven up higher when I was dieting um obviously to offset some of the the negative side effects of the diet but overall my my sleep between once I sort of figured out this sort of uh, biochemistry to sleep and the nutritional practices and the supplemental regimen, uh, I remember prepping for a show in 2015 and having severe insomnia. This is, this is what dra- drove me to to go down that, that path of what is the, the biochemistry of sleep overall. Because there was nights where I'd I'd go to sleep at 9, half 9, I'd fall asleep, no problem. And then I'd be wide awake at half one or two in the morning. And you'd be sort of like, well, what do I do now? And you just hop on your <laughs> exercise bike and start watching movies. or You, you do something until you're tired. Yeah. You know, until you're tired enough with, uh, to fall asleep. And that was, that, that insomnia was driven when I was doing night shifts. So I'd, I'd finish night shift and I'd be trying to rotate back onto a daytime sleeping pattern. So I'd be trying to go to bed at a normal time of 9 or 10 o'clock at night. And my body's circadian rhythm, was that out of balance. My melatonin was unbalanced that I was getting a certain level of sleep and then I was awake for maybe three or four hours. And it's come maybe half six in the morning, I'd be tired again. I'd go back to sleep for a couple of hours. That's okay if you're, you know, if you're single, if you've, got no, if you've got no job mm-hmm. to go to the next morning, you know, you can afford to have that little sleep in. And that's sort of then when it came to prepping for a show then the following year in 2016 and 2017, and those two years when I was uh, preparing for the shows, I had no insomnia, I had no sleep issues. I was waking up like right up until like the week before the show for like morning cardio, fresh as a daisy, sort of thinking like going into the last week of the show, this should be really harder than it really is based on the previous, you know, four or five years competing and, and that, that change in my sleep efficiency from incorporating that, that ingredients of the sleep stack mm. completely revolutionized how my, uh, I guess how my bodybuilding show preparation went then, in, uh, into the last shows I done in 2017. Um, and that's, that's more so where people using the super needs sleep stack Mm -hmm. when I was released in 2018 it's consistently sold out it's one of these sort of supplements that people now realize that oh wow this makes a huge impact to not only my training recovery Mm -hmm. but my quality of life overall yeah Yeah.
0: absolutely I mean we didn't really touch on it maybe we can rewind a bit on like why is sleep so important I mean for sort of the the more obvious reasons Uh, yeah
1: so so I guess, like, sleep is very important because we have that, that physical rejuvenation aspect. So while we're sleeping, especially for any, I guess, fitness or competitive athletes listening, sleep is when your body actually rebuilds. Mm-hmm. So you're, you do the damage when training or you do the, the improvement when training, but your body at rest is when it's actually recovering and growing. So gaining muscle tissue, that growth... That's occurring is actually best happening while we're sleeping how we're providing that nutrition during the day will obviously offset some of the negative um i guess consequences of what happens when we break down muscle tissue but the actual rebuilding process that growth hormone secretion all those things that facilitate then that muscle protein synthesis of accruing net protein in our body all comes down to sleep the other aspect, then, like I sort of said earlier, was from a, a mental perspective. Yeah. The likes of uh, what we're starting to sort of see is um, Alzheimer's, for example, and the accumulation of beta amyloid plaque in the brain can be due to, in, I guess, insufficient um, sleep quality and sleep quantity. So these microglial cells that are in our brain, these immune cells that are cleaning out dead cells and debris, actively clear away beta amyloid plaque as well and if they're not having active periods of time where they're able to get to work cleaning our brain basically or detoxing like I said earlier Mm -hmm. you are going to have this beta amyloid plaque deposition building up over time and leading to them future disease in terms of Alzheimer's so it really does play a huge significant role not only in our athletic ability but also our cognitive performance and that's sort of where I've always laughed at when I was doing all my um, exams at university I always made it a priority that you know by half nine I was asleep and then I'd sleep until maybe seven the next day before an exam so I always made sure I got nine to ten hours sleep before an exam and then i get up early and spend another hour trying to memorize a couple more notes before the actual exam itself But even back then, I just understood how important sleep was for memory consolidation and actively taking on board Uh that information you've tried to learn previously when studying. Um, And I mean, even, you know, a classic example can be that when you're dreaming of events that have happened in work the day before or work in the past, where sometimes you have the complex problems that you're trying to solve, and it actually to, the solution comes in your dream because you're, you're mm-hmm. replaying those memory events as your brain is trying to consolidate that information. You start to make connections of other scenarios in the past towards the present problem. And that, that again, is where the creativity of sleep comes as well for, for a complex problem solving. And, and that's only, again, if we're getting adequate sleep quality Allowing our brain to get into that REM cycle, you know, stage of sleep.
2: So, what's your what's your take on like power naps? Or what's the science behind? Do you think they're helpful? Yeah. So,
1: so how do you, how do you view this? Is and this is especially important for, I guess, overall longevity. We have one camp that's saying, you know, if you don't sleep seven to eight hours of yeah. sleep per night, you know, you're, you're going to run into health issues later on in life. So, you know, we have people scared that, you know, they're getting six hours of sleep a night and that they're going to end up with all these diseases when they're older.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Or we have another camp that views sleep in terms of sleep cycles, of how our brain actively processes and moves through these sleep phases. And what we come to then view is each person has their own genetic need of sleep cycles as opposed to sleep quantity or sleep time. So if we sort of work out that a sleep cycle is 90 minutes in length, we then break that down into the number of sleep cycles one person may get per night. So if you sleep seven and a half hours where you're asleep for seven and a half hours, that's five sleep cycles during that nighttime. And if you average that then over the week, it comes to 35 sleep cycles. So there's one current camp that believes that it doesn't really matter how much sleep you get in a given night it's that your weekly goal of sleep cycles is managed correctly mm. so for example if you miss out on a sleep cycle one night where you go to bed an hour and a half later yeah. if you account for a nap the next day of 90 minutes that's the same as catching that sleep cycle back up okay interesting. so then you can start working out what is the most efficient number of sleep cycles your body needs on a weekly basis and aim for that rather than aiming for a rigid seven and a half hours per night. You know, certain people might have social events where they might only get six hours of sleep. They stay out an hour and a half later. So in that case, then they can be okay. Maybe if I get two 45 minute naps across the week and still hit my sleep cycle goal, it's going to be the same as if I had slept the same number of hours each night. Um, and it can become very interesting because you can sort of then work out your your circadian rhythm and how balanced your circadian rhythm is because if you wake up every day at say six o'clock without an alarm clock, you can count back from six o'clock probably in ninety minutes to the time you went to bed and fell asleep. Mm-hmm. so if you go to bed at i don't know half ten and you you're waking up at six, that's seven and a half hours which on average is about five sleep cycles so you start to see then okay on an average night i need to be in bed by half 10 and my body wakes up at six if you missed your half 10 bedtime from being out or you know watching tv then your next sort of sleep cycle that's happening in your brain is 12 o'clock so this is sort of where this sleep cycle um physiology comes into in you'll probably find that if you don't go to bed at the time that you're normally supposed to go to bed at, the next time you're going to feel quite sleepy is the next sleep onset phase, which is an hour and a half later. So if you go to bed at half 10 on average and you stay up past half 10, there's no point in going to bed and trying to go sleep between you know, 11 and half 11. You're probably better off waiting, getting yourself wound down properly and know that by 12 o'clock you'll be in. Your
2: sleep phase again, awesome. yeah. and then just like I said, you account for that hour and a half that you missed with a nap at some point during the week. Oh,
0: I like I like that information. I'll, I'll put that in
2: account when I'm having long uh, long nights of gaming. I, I, <laughs> I was gonna say, yeah, I cool like, I like you, that. Yeah. you now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. will
0: yeah, be, be like, sorry, I'm no, gonna go and catch up. No, it just makes sense
2: because uh, there are actually some nights where nah, just play a, a short game and I go <laughs> to bed. And I'll think about the game for longer, but there's some I finish going to bed and it's it's not that hard to fall asleep. So
1: I'll... And sometimes that falling asleep is probably because you're just falling naturally into that, mm-hmm. that time period when your body's getting ready to go yeah. into the next sleep cycle. Oh, yeah. yeah. And <laughs> that's, that, that's where the, the whole, I guess, um, psychology of sleep and planning sleep, mm-hmm. that's what one camp believes, is that you... You follow and you break down your sleep oh, time sleep. into these sleep cycles, oh, nice. rather than focusing
2: on total sleep quantity. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Mm. Yeah. Oh, oh, mm. I used so, to do stupid stuff. Like when I was in the police, we'd do a night shift, mm. and say it fell, like, Friday night you're working, I would go straight to rugby the next day, play a game of rugby, <laughs> go straight back to work, do another night shift, and not get to sleep till, the or like, yeah, you know, Sunday at some point, oh, yeah. Geez. You know, mm. you start hallucinating after a few... And if you caught a case, say, on a, say, like you didn't finish until like Sunday evening even, you'd be hallucinating on your way home. you you start seeing <laughs> stuff, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Good times. Good times. It, oh, it, it's, it's, <laughs> it, it, it's crazy, even like the, like
1: you said, that even the psychology of what happens to your brain when you're sleep-deprived uh, and if you're... Uh, Your ability to make correct decisions even is severely impacted, your reaction times are affected. And that's that's where like obviously trying to give people correct information about how to finish a night shift effectively is a is a big thing. Like most people don't realize that, you know, your greatest risks of dying after night shift is probably on a winter morning where you come out. You get in your car, the car's all frosted over, and you go, you know what, oh, I'm going to turn on the heaters, defrost oh, the car, but oh, the car's a little chilly, I'll just leave the heaters on while I'm driving. That increase the in core temperature from that warm environment will make you severely drowsy while driving the car. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that, that's where it's important that in the winter time shift workers should de-ice their car and try and, you know, hold out
2: on that cold environment while driving home because it will keep you awake and more alert. I used to prefer riding my motorbike with the visor a little bit open rather than driving the car <laughs> because you know I'd always feel more awake on the bike. I doubt my reaction times were amazing, but you know, generally, I, I you know I'd always feel so tired in the car. You know, struggle with jet Yeah,
1: and there was just been often times like when I finished night shifts and I'd deliberately phone my wife on speakerphone and <laughs> I'd be driving and I'd be chatting to her on the speakerphone. And then I get to, because I used to stay in my parents' after night shifts, I get to my parents' house and, and I wouldn't really recall the, the drive home. Like, yeah. your, your brain is just in this sort yeah. of autopilot, yeah. which is quite scary because you're, you're sort of paying attention, but you're not paying attention because your brain is, in that regard, what's happened there actually is your brain has fallen from beta into sort of an alpha wave state, which is like almost wow. daydreaming.
2: Yeah.
1: Where you're, you're, you're conscious but your brain isn't fully alert to, to being, you know, engaged like beta which is when you're having a, an active conversation with someone and your brain is actually taking in everything around you. So, Interesting. Yeah, there's a, there's definitely, you know, sleep and its effects on shift never mind the, the potential carcinogenic effects of, oh, sorry. of of, you know, sleep deprivation and your your I guess difficulties with sleep with shift work and you could actually die in your car because you fell asleep
0: yeah
1: and, and that's because of you know you, you were never told don't don't uh, drive a car with your ears on after <laughs> yeah, <absolutely. laughs> cold night shifts
0: yeah and I feel like you know we should be taught about sleep you know when you're younger like you said is this you know when you were studying you you were smart you were the smart one going to bed early <laughs> And, you know, making that a priority, whereas most students are like, let's burn the midnight oil, yep. and that's actually not going to yeah, help you at all.
1: Yeah, and you, you just end up... Because I've seen it even in my friends that would stay up all night trying to cram. You, you just work yourself into a hole where your your brain just didn't have a chance to actually actively recover. Yeah. And I'm lucky... One of the, the, the sort of things that's played to my strength is like a photographic memory. Mm-hmm. So... If I'm learning something, I'm trying to visualize all the, the facts that's on a piece of paper in front of me. And if I stayed awake all night, I'd probably start hallucinating my brain of <laughs> what I was learning the yeah, day before. Uh, a lot of that memory for exams came back from not necessarily learning things to be able to describe it to someone in the sense of having true mastership of the facts, mm-hmm. yeah. but basically having very good recall. On, on being able to recall facts based on a photographic memory that my brain has been able to consolidate from having that, yeah. that REM sleep. So
2: I was quite good at the exam, so I, I follow the same sort of principle. Like when I did my masters or my second masters, I'd go in and start an exam, i write almost everything down. <laughs> I just memorise it. I actually learned that cramming was never good for me because I would never remember it. So as long as I wrote it down when I was learning it, I had a good night's sleep, reread the notes in the morning like I can walk into the exam and remember pretty much everything, like
1: that. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. That, that's, that, that's the same with me. And, I mean, in some regards, then, just, like, off-topic even, then that shows you how flawed sometimes an exam methodology oh, yeah. is. Because oh, it, it, becomes, it becomes a game of who has a very good memory yeah. rather than someone who understands facts. Oh, um, yeah, I can not apply half of it. Yeah. I can
2: memorize it, but I couldn't apply
1: it. I mean, the only the only subject that you could never do that with uh, and i found and obviously only done up to secondary university was maths yeah. Oh, yeah.
2: You, you could have memorize to how to do
1: formulas but if you did not know how to do mm-hmm. the methodology of maths that's you it. Yeah. you're not passing so that was yeah. the only subject where you had to actually understand what you were doing rather than memorizing a lot of jargon yeah. and and that's uh, i i guess that's the the unfortunate thing as well that that in today's society the people who have the very good memories get the very good jobs, but you might not actually understand that, what you're doing yeah. fundamentally. <laughs> yeah. yeah, So true. So true.
0: Um, but before we we finish up, what is fluorescence spectroscopy? Yeah. So with,
1: with my with my PhD, I was designing a a new fluorescent molecule. So obviously something that glows, mm-hmm. and. What I was interested in was the photophysics of how that fluorescent molecule glowed. So, basically, fluorescence is you have a molecule and it absorbs light.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So, it absorbs energy, it absorbs a photon of light. It can absorb a specific wavelength of light into the molecule. But what it then does is it kicks out another photon, which is fluorescence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. photon may have a different wavelength for a different color. Mm-hmm. So in other words, then you have emission where your molecule absorbs energy mm-hmm. and then emits mm-hmm. out mm-hmm. another mm-hmm. photon, which fluoresces, which has a wavelength of light mm-hmm. associated to it. Yeah. So so my guys, they, they glowed bright green. Mm-hmm. And basically what I sort of then left off was you, you want to go down the route of fluorescent diagnostics so if you have say a, a protein target or a malignant cell then you could tag that protein with a fluorescent marker to show up on an investigative microscope mm-hmm. so basically show up any cancerous cells versus mm-hmm. non-cancerous cells
2: nice.
1: wow. and um, I, I sort of proved the concept before I finished my PhD on being able Uh, to tag tag simple simple amino acids. So I proved the concept that I could tag this fluorescent marker onto amino acids. And then um, that was the end of my sort of, I had all my work done. (laughs) 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 I had all my my research done. I I figured out, you know, with uh, extensive computational models with another expert on why these molecules glowed, why they took energy on board and why they gave out light. And... What was very interesting with my project was most of the, the current diagnostic molecules that we have, their fluorescent half-life, so how long they give out light for, mm-hmm. is in the region of milliseconds. Mm-hmm. So so when you have a researcher who stained um, cancerous cells with what's known as, one, one of the molecules is called fluorescein, and it makes a, cancer cells glow green you have about 10 milliseconds to get a picture on a microscope of that cell glowing Mm. so basically when you illuminate when you do a a confocal microscope which is what and basically it concentrates a beam of energy onto the cells
2: Mm.
1: you have you know milliseconds to take a picture of those Mm. cells that fluoresce when that energy is applied. So it can become very tedious that you need um, rapid detection markers or rapid detection cameras that can capture that picture in that split, split second of time. Yeah. The fluorescent molecule I developed has like nanosecond delivery in terms of how long it stays fluorescent for. So you're talking like a, a, a hundred thousandth increase in terms of the half-life on the ones that are used currently going from milliseconds to nanoseconds Mm -hmm. but what was more interesting was my guys didn't break down under uv light so what we have is a concept known as photo bleaching, and this sort of becomes uh, interesting that if you've ever broken a glow stick that's a fluorescent molecule that is now being excited the, the chemical reaction is causing chemoluminescence so you have a rest of the molecule reacting with another compound, like luciferase, or one of these other sort of light-emitting compounds, and it gives off life, but eventually, after, say, eight or nine hours, the ghost stick dies.
2: Yeah.
1: And that's because you have phlo- photobleaching, where the molecule that's giving off the light is being destroyed mm-hmm. in the process. Mm-hmm. And obviously, as the molecule destroys itself, it can no longer give out mm-hmm. light. My guys... I put them in front of a, a laser for 12 hours and they were still, uh, the emission intensity of it was still the same as minute one. Oh, so in other words, they, they just, they kept fluorescing indefinitely.
0: Oh geez. That's incredible. And I, I, I had <laughs> like, yes. I,
1: it was funny because we used to go on nights out when I was doing my PhD yeah. and I kept, I'd be wearing jeans in the lab and there was times we went out to nightclubs and you like glow,
2: glowing.
1: And me yeah, <laughs> on my jeans was glowing where I'd accidentally spilled something. Yeah. I just thought nothing of it because it was only like a small little splash yeah. off <laughs> off the edge of my lab coat. Uh, and I'm like, what you do there? I'm like, uh oh. Well, <laughs> do you really want to know? <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's just like that's a that's a mistake from the lab an accident. <laughs> okay. But like that that then like you know we could be out for a night out and I would still be glowing. You know, three weeks later, even when the jeans were washed. Oh jeez. Wow.
0: Um, wow, that's so incredible. Yeah,
1: that, that was like that was an area research. that I was <laughs> I was offered to go into when I was mm. finishing my PhD um, as a a principal investigator. So basically, there, it, it's not a very lucrative lifestyle to put it. Lightly. You're begging people for money to, in order to fund your research, and right, it's right. it's not it's not really stable position. here. Yeah your research ends up becoming diluted by taking on projects with
2: other people in order to fund your lab, yeah. basically. Yeah, we've yeah. got our
1: own agendas as well, so. And, and I mean, like, the, the, my I was doing my PhD between two universities um, because the second university was on the west of Ireland and that had all the spectroscopy equipment. So I'd, I'd spend, you know, four or five months over there for it, one of my years doing all the analysis and the, the fluorescent work and my supervisor there basically spent his day asking businesses like johnson and johnson and the um even the on guarda the police service of ireland for funding to do um i guess research industrial research on top of the pure science research So, you know, one of his PhD students could be doing a project for the police service on using spectroscopy for, you know, drugs, forensics, or or something like that. Or doing, you know, fluorescence investigations for drug purity for, say, Johnson & Johnson or a company like that. And their project work was getting diluted down by having to do work to fund the lab, basically. And to me, that was like, it's not really that life where... You get to a point where you're not even doing science anymore. You're yeah, yeah. you're going looking you're going looking for money to in order to fund your students to continue doing their work. And yeah. I, just, I, I just said no, thank you. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well,
0: oh, well. yeah. well this this has been really, really interesting. Yeah. I've made lots of notes as well. Yeah. Um and I, I do like what you said, like once you kind of understand the the sort of science of sleep you know it, it makes a lot more sense and you know just getting in some simple nutrition practices you know before you sleep you know getting to learn your kind of sleep cycle that kind of thing looking more beyond just the sleep hygiene and everything yeah. i think that's yeah. uh, fascinating yeah. um don't think we can buy a sleep stack here but
2: <laughs> yeah, it's, uh... unless yeah. andy imports and oh, so, yeah, I got some. I bought some for my girlfriend in the UK. So, um, yeah, so. Yeah. Well, I want some guys sent to me. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: So. You know, we're, we're slowly working on, on getting something that really, is global, but small baby steps first. But yeah. uh, we do have we do have you know people like customers in South Africa and mm-hmm. other African countries who do buy it. But obviously, the shipping is the the big yeah. side to it, unfortunately. But um, mm. slowly but surely we'll we'll start branching out of Europe now in the next next year. So that's the that's the plan, obviously.
2: Mm-hmm. And then people cool.
1: can try and enjoy these supplements as the UK have can. Yeah. yeah, but <laughs> exactly.
0: you know, like you said, there's simple things of you know having some carbs before you go to bed, and you can get you know magnesium glycinate here. In fact, when I see it in the supplements do I buy all of it because it's not often here. And and just, you know, again, simple things like that, and then look to supplements if you ever do yeah, expand. exactly. Here. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you so, so much again. This yeah, has been no really, problem. really enjoyable. It's a pleasure.
2: Really informative. Uh, uh? Yeah. Yes, always.
0: And, uh, yeah, maybe we'll get you back for some other interesting topics.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah.
1: So, I'm, always, I'm always well open to, to come on back on podcasts. So it's always so nice having a chat over, over nice topics like this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it's ab-
0: absolutely oh. fascinating, as is your uh, PhD work.
2: Yeah,
1: <laughs> <interesting>. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank all right, well, I hope so you have much. a
0: lovely rest of your week and um, we'll put all your contact details in the episode as well so people can follow you and, uh, yes, yeah, so learn more
1: from you. Yeah. Brilliant to you very much.
2: Thank you. Oh, I'll Hello. speak to you in a couple of
1: weeks' time, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, sure, I'm sure, yeah, with, with where your prep is going. Yeah,
2: exactly.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, we'll have a catch-up soon. Yeah, no, perfect. I look forward to Andy.